Please support the Climate Change and Happiness podcast. See the donate page at climatechangeandhappiness.com. The climate is changing at an accelerating pace. Thousands of residents and tourists have been evacuated from the region. No one country can solve this problem. There's really one key message that emerges from this report. We are out of time. Welcome to Climate Change and Happiness, an international podcast that explores the personal side of climate change, your feelings, what the crisis means to you, and how to cope and thrive. And now, your hosts, Thomas Doherty and Panu Pikala. Well, hello, I am Thomas Doherty. And I am Panu Pikala. And welcome to Climate Change and Happiness, our podcast, the show for people around the world, around the globe, who are thinking and feeling deeply about issues like climate change and the environmental crisis and nature and all these things that revolve around these these big these big topics. And um, again, we focus on the emotions and our feelings, uh, among other things. And uh, today we are really excited to have a guest with us. Hi, I'm Janet Lewis. Uh, I'm a psychiatrist in central New York State, and I'm a founding member of the Climate Psychiatry Alliance, uh, and I do a lot of uh, teaching about mental health effects of climate change. Yeah, and we're so glad to have Janet with us. Janet lives in part of the country in the U.S. where I, near where I grew up in western New York State or central New York State, uh, and like like other guests that we've had on this podcast, Janet has been doing this work for a while uh, and is and is one of the pathfinders, one of the innovators that have kind of helped to build knowledge of climate psychology, particularly climate therapy and climate psychiatry. Um, so we're really glad to kind of have a discussion. I know Panu and I have both seen Janet's work over the years, and it's really nice to meet meet someone, and uh, it's really validating for for us, I think, to to, to meet you know kindred spirit. Uh, Pana, do you want to get us started? Yes, warmly welcome, Janet. Very pleased to meet you. Meet you on online, and uh, you've been engaged with this topic for a long time. But would you like to share a bit about your background story? So, how did you em- end up becoming a climate-aware uh, psychological professional? <laughs> Well, I, I know different people come to this different ways. I'm I'm one of the people who sort of had a an awakening in a particular moment. Um, I think I'd been primed for it because I've I've known uh, some disasters in my life. I uh, I've had my house burned down, not from anything climate change related, but uh, I've also been in a hurricane and I've been in some flooding situations. And um, but but I had a um, a moment uh, when I was at a conference. It was the Integral Theory Conference um, in California, and it, that's a that's a, a group, a movement that's spiritually oriented and also very um, intellectually open, um, interested in in fitting together as much as possible um, in ways of thinking about life and the world. And I was at this conference, there was a lot of talk about climate change. And, um, most of the people at the conference were in, uh, a state of, uh, a fair amount of equanimity, uh, a lot of the time, as I say, this sort of a spiritually oriented, uh, movement. Um, but my sweet mate, um, 
was was uh, talking to me in a very agitated way about climate change. And she looked me in the eye and she said, the bottom line, Janet, is that we may be able to adapt to two degrees. But right now we're on track for over four degrees and that will create an earth we would not recognize. Um, and I'd heard things like that before, you know, of course. But for some reason in that moment that the information really penetrated uh, for me. And it was just clear for me right away. Okay, this is the most important thing going on. This is what I have to work on. And I, uh, in very short order, knew the sorts of things I was good at and uh, set about finding like-minded colleagues. And uh, that's how I you know, kind of uh, threw myself to the front, like many of others have, of climate mental health. And, and that experience made me very interested in the whole phenomenon of containment, you know, because, you know, what happened for me uh, that the information was able to penetrate and I could think so clearly about what to do what allowed that to happen? And, and I think I was in an extremely containing environment with, um, as I say, it being a very, very open, supportive, and also spiritually oriented uh, conference there. And this, this whole notion of containment, I find really, really important in relation to climate change. Um, and, and I know that this podcast is about emotions. So I, I tend to, uh, intellectualization is my go-to defense. Mm. So feel free to stop me and, <laughs> and, yeah. and, and get it what the emotions are. Um, but emotionally, the, the, there's, a, there's an emotional valence to clarity um, that's, that's alivening. Mm. Um, and, uh, so that's, that's where I was at. And, um, I, uh, as I say, I've been very interested in, in the topic of, of containment. Um, it's, it's a very specific term in the psychoanalytic literature. Um, the, the theorist beyond or Bion, different people pronounce it differently, talked about it in very specific terms as what happens between a parent and an infant that helps the infant to be with experience that's difficult to bear. So, so the infant will cry and then the, the caretaker or parent uh, doesn't just cry back at the infant. Instead, the caretaker takes in the communication and metabolizes it in a sense, and then and then voluntarily give something new back that's tolerable for the infant, and and in that way that the infant learns how to metabolize experience in a bearable way themselves because they've been given this larger space of the relationship with the parent. So then, in a in a more general way, containment has to do with all of the things um, that help us to bear what's difficult to bear, that, that help us to get to a larger space from which we can have perspective uh, and within which we can find meaning, you know, that the kind of clarity that, as I say, can be so enlivening. Um, you know, not that I'm there all the time. I mean, like anybody, I cycle through all sorts of feelings in relation to climate change. 
Um, but th- I, this is an important touchstone for me, mm-hmm. you know, ways, ways to get to, to larger space. Yeah. Mm. Thank you, Janet. That's very interesting and pr- profound to hear. And this topic of awakening or having an epiphany or a conversion moment, it's actually often discussed in these terms, which are closely related to religion and spirituality, even in environmental research. So there's interesting, interesting stuff going on on there and um, very very fascinated what you say about con- containment but how about you thomas what does this spark in you no it's really helpful and i'm glad uh janet you you defined that the term for the listeners yeah so i mean containment when i think of containment i think of another you know, way of thinking of it is holding space holding a space for someone you know so when our friend tells us a story or someone's someone's needing help we we can you know we hold space for them we listen we validate we we you know, make it clear to them that we believe them. We think their concerns are valid. So, you know, and in many ways, our this whole podcast is its role, right? Is a containment, right? That's part right. of our mission. And the podcast is to is to create a container, a space to talk about these emotions and, and various climate experiences that just don't typically have a container in people's lives because we know that people don't talk about this stuff and it's politically charged and all this other stuff. Even therapists, of course, will really appreciate this, particularly therapists that are psychoanalytic or psychodynamic because that that's a big part of their work is 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 this kind of understanding how our early experiences you know affect our our, our modern life and all this sort of stuff. um so yes janet a couple of things though but you personally i know from talking to you and knowing you a little bit you personally you know suffered through disasters you know a flooding that destroyed your property or losing your home and you know what it's like to be in shock and bereft and in that disaster mental health space where you just need to figure out the next step. And so one of the things I find interesting is uh, another concept that's a little bit more um, deeper for the listener, but this idea of dialectics, right? You think one of the therapeutic things is to hold, hold different sides of an issue and, and, and not collapse it in a simple way. And so one of the dialectics I think that you talk about in your chapter is that we are we're kind of either in a disaster or not. Like all of us are either have been in a disaster, will be in a disaster, or are not in a disaster. And it's sort of this continuum that we're in, and you know, not collapsing that, but um, sort of like what I understand from your writing is that the people who are not actively in a disaster, it's their job to do some of this climate behavior change and adaptation and mitigation. To hold space for the people that are literally suffering suffering through the disaster who don't have time for that because they're just surviving right and I, I don't think you would have come i don't think you would have come to that without having knowing what it's like to be in a disaster oh, i right? think you're right yeah. i think yeah. you're right yeah and this is when i think of different forms of containment um thinking about our relation our changed relationship to disaster um, for me, this is this is cognitively containing, you know, because I, I think it, most people have at the back of their minds. Well, wait a minute, what what? How on earth are we going to deal with this? You know, these increasing disasters. What's going to happen? Well, when we accept that we're in a new relationship with disaster now, you know, disaster is no longer an outlier event. And none of us are immune from disasters, although many people are on the front lines experiencing much more than other people. You know, there are communities at, at 
who are suffering and are at much greater risk. But, but still with climate change, no one is immune. And so it makes sense for us to think about, okay, what's this new relationship with disaster? And as you were saying, Thomas, um, I think we're, we're either within or between disasters. Mm. Um, and that, that's an important mindset to have. We're either within or between disasters, because that has important implications. Um, the people who the people who are within disasters or in the immediate aftermath of disasters, they're in no position to be working on on large programs of mitigation and adaptation, right? Um, if you're wringing muddy water out of your clothes, you know you're you're focusing on rebuilding your life. That's that's what you ought to be doing. Um, so uh, so there is also going to be, is, and will be even more, this sort of fluid exchange of roles where some people are in disasters or immediate aftermath of disasters, other people are between disasters. And so we know some broad strokes of what uh, the future is going to have to look like in order to work. And one of the broad strokes is this, it's gonna have to be more pro-social um, where the people who are between disasters are helping those who are within disasters, and the people who are between disasters are working on the larger programs of mitigation and adaptation. Um, as I say, this is one broad stroke of, of what the future uh, needs to look like to work, of course, and another broad stroke has to do with getting to carbon neutrality. Mm -hmm. um, but another thing that's so very cognitively containing for me that I talk a lot about is is emergence. You know, that's this characteristic of complex systems. I'm sure many listeners uh, probably have heard about emergence. Th this characteristic of complex systems where the whole system can get to new ways of operating that can work. But we we can't know ahead of time what all the features of those new patterns are going to be. That's that's, that's part of the character of how complex systems work. So we can know these broad strokes, I think, uh, about the, the patterns in the future that uh, can work, but, but we can't know for sure uh, exactly what it's gonna look like or how to get there. Um, and that uncertainty has to be accepted. Mm. Yeah. Yes, thanks for opening opening all that that up and systems thinking has been referred to in this podcast. We haven't gone deep in it, but of course, one of the founding figures of any work on emotions caused by global problems is Joanna Macy, who was very very keen on systems thinking and there's that that legacy uh, legacy uh, around and you are also referring to this central concept of uncertainty which is of course very intimately linked with with anxiety in various various ways and one of them uh, texts of yours that I really much liked was an article about climate dialectics. Uh, so, uh, would you like to say say a bit a bit about that and perhaps open up the concept of di dialectical thinking for for the listener? Sure, sure. Well, a, a characteristic of this complexity, you know, climate's a complex system, and now it's completely intertwined with human technology, human systems, and human psychology, and human culture. Um, and within complex 
systems, they uh, there there's no way to understand everything uh, that's going on. And climate gets called a hyper object, uh, as I'm sure uh, some listeners have heard, uh, where it's so distributed through space and time that it's impossible to completely get a grip on it, to, to completely feel like you you understand it, because we're also inside of it. You know? um, and, and with that complexity, as well as with the emotional challenges of climate change being such a threat, um, the, the mind naturally kind of divides things up. Um, we, you know, we can't hold on to all of it at the same time, and no one can know it all at the same time. And so we'll often get presented with things that uh, are seemingly uh, opposed that are actually both true or, or both important anyway. Um, like a sense of hope and a sense of hopelessness. I mean, it's important not to simplistically side with either one, um, but instead be willing to explore them both and discover the space between them, kind of keep enough space uh, there to be able to to be able to reflect and and out of that reflection, new forms of hope have emerged. You know, there's a lot of talk uh, and and writing in the climate mental health literature about, uh, about kinds of hope, um, like realistic hope or radical hope uh, that, that emerge from this grappling with, with important dialectics. Uh, other important dialectics are individual agency and collective agency, um, or nature as, as solace and uh, nature as threat. And I mean, also, I think an overarching one that wasn't in that paper, but I'm 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 seeing is is even more overarching has to do with focus on focus on the the web of life, the biosphere, and focus on humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, actually, both are important right? uh, because we're humans, and it has turned out that we're extremely influential. Um, it is important to be able to focus on us too. Um, as well as it now being recognized that we have to have a focus on the the entire web of life. But these things are not mutually exclusive. That's what's really important with dialectical thinking, is not allowing yourself to think in mutually exclusive terms, but instead holding both things mm-hmm. and seeing what emerges as as both are held. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking back at our podcast episodes, and that's what often what we do in this podcast is we open up this kind of area, and then we hold. You know, we had we had our one of our first episodes was on holding space, and then we had the episode on cynicism, you know, eco anxiety. So we open up these things. We had an episode on you know nature being, like you say, a solace, but also fear and and dread that comes now into into nature because of the change of seasons and things like that. So. So it's a good, it's a good, it's a good reminder that we have to stay open to these things and try to be kind of try to be as big as the world, you know, in the sense of holding a lot of these things. But we can't hold everything, but we we strive to it, I guess. What uh, what happens? Uh, what what should people do when they when they collapse and they, <laughs> and they can't hold it anymore? What then? What happens? Well. There? I mean, well, first to recognize that's okay. I mean, as, as I said, you know, I cycle through, uh, I think probably like most people, every conceivable mm. um, 
sort of sort of uh, feeling and and state and in in relating to to our realities and in coming more and more to terms with the extent of our realities you know in addition to climate change you know we're also dealing with what gets called a, a meta crisis or multi crisis or poly crisis and you know i i i have cognitive understanding that this this is all a, it's all sort of one crisis it's about our current ways of being coming up against their limitations um uh and it's good for us to be recognizing that but also it's pretty clear that we're in for a very rocky road as well as having to deal with so much suffering and tragedy and um so it's important that that be validated you know, uh, and accepted. We have to accept where we are in order to change. This is this sort of paradox in all in, in all psychotherapy. Um, also, work at opening the space. You know, so if someone finds themselves kind of collapsed, okay, what kinds of what kinds of containment can be brought in? I mean, you mentioned Joanna Macy's work, Panu, and and I think at one enormous contribution of hers is the sort of narrative containment that she brings in with saying, okay, we're in a huge transition. This is the great turning. Bringing in the story that someone can identify with, that helps to open the space. Leaning on on spiritual practice, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, can open the space. The relationships with other people and, and with nature uh, can can open up space for us being being involved agentically just working on things uh, is a kind of containment is a kind of uh, containment too um, and then there are these forms of cognitive containment you know knowing that okay we're part of this complex system we can't see it all um, but the fact that it's so complex, actually means that no matter what direction someone is coming from, no matter what their particular heartbreaks or talents or spheres of influence are, th there's a role. You know, there's an important role uh, to be played. You know, because no one can hold this all, we're forced to work with each other. I mean, we're actually forced to grow up in a way. Uh, forced to accept uncertainty, forced to work with other people. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks. Let me just add, just just for the listener, because uh, just to make sure, that just to simplify this a little bit, because I want this to come across to people. So this container, we, get to cho we can choose different containers depending on how we're feeling on a given day, what's useful for us, right? So right. like for some people, I need to be able to tell a story and someone to hear it and share my story. That's that's the, how I contain for some people, it's like I need to kind of make sense of it. So I need to intellectually get a mental model that helps me to make sense of this. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's the relationship. I just need to find a, I need to be in a relationship with someone. I can't be isolated, right? So even just relationship of any kind forms the container and then taking some action, whatever it's small scale, that's that agentic, right? So uh, my action becomes a container, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then mm -hmm. spiritual container, which is my larger sense of, sense of meaning and, and things bigger than myself that becomes a container so we have we have essentially several containers that we should have sort of in our tool belt of coping 
Mm-hmm. And and as you say, I think uh, you know different things are going to be what an individual uh, most most effectively leans on. Um, but yeah, there are all sorts of of means of containment, of ways to to bear what's difficult to bear, and to have enough space. Uh, you know, containment also provides space to be able to think clearly mm-hmm. about what to do and to make choices. So physical containment, like breathing, relaxing our body. All that. But what are you thinking about, Panio? If you go, I know you have a lot of interest in this area. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot here. The spaciousness of uncertainty. Whoever used that phrase, but there's more space, space there, and of course, uh, the often mentioned Joe and Amazi also wrote about this, and that's one possible for cognitive reframing. You know, trying trying to think about things in a new light. So uncertainty can be very painful, but it also gives more more space. But what I'm most thinking of here is the pendulum uh, and this mo- movement. So that's closely integrated in the process model of eco-anxiety and ecological grief that I worked worked a lot on in the previous previous years and emphasizing the importance of fluctuation and mood changes as I uh, hear you you do also also Janet and I don't think that the movement is very often regular as in the pendulum of a clock but I I like the visual metaphor that there is movement and that's part of part of life and trying to accept the, the movements instead of going into binary think- thinking so i think that's very very important for practical yes, coping also that's yeah that's so important you know we each contain multitudes um we, you know we have all these different states of mind and i mean it's sort of like the larger reality that there's no way to get a completely coherent grip on how it all works it's just too complex that's the way it is with the mind too and so these different states, you know, just like we have to accept that, okay, different people are going to be doing different things and I won't be able to be in touch with all of it. Well, we also have to accept that we have these different states of mind and, um, you know, be willing to to explore them without feeling as though, no, I have to have some overarching thing that works all the time, you know. Uh, that that's just not the way it is. Uh, a part of how we're moving forward is because of all the internal dialectical processes, uh, as as the different states we're in at different times are kind of uh, in relation to each other, and we figure more out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pendulum, kind of the waves we talk about. I know in our episodes we talk about the waves, riding the waves. Some some days we're up in terms of mm-hmm. inspiration, mm-hmm. taking action, being with a group mm-hmm. of people that we like, we're contained. Some, mm-hmm. some days we're really contained and we feel good and we got some wind in our sails and other days, you know, our, we're at the upside down pyramid and everything's impinging on us and we, we, we don't have any container. We feel very small and insecure and, and inadequate. Um, and so we ride, we ride those waves. That's that's to be accepted too. Yeah, there's a great article in just today's New York Times on this idea of a protopia. It's not a neither a dystopia. It's it's very fitting for our discussion because it's neither a, a utopia where everything is all taken care of, nor is it a dystopia where everything is terrible. A protopia is a place where there's gradual progressive change, progress, prototypes, and it's kind of bringing out 
an idea that was written about over a decade ago in a technology book, but it's neat how some of these ideas come out a little early and we don't quite see the benefit of these ideas. And then later on, um, it comes true. So a lot of this work, even the work that you've written, Janet, like the dialectic stuff, when you wrote it, people were like, oh, this is kind of interesting, you know, but now people really know exactly what you're talking about because they're living it, you know, so it's really neat. I know what I struggle with, and I think a lot of people struggle with one of the one of the uh, one of the dialectics here um, is between this kind of ethical uh, ethical um, well being that you talk about, this pro social, and then the um, the kind of build let, let's build the wall, the kind of authoritarian, this kind of really dark, harsh po- political movement that's happening around the world as well. I think that's a larger dialectic we're all living through now um and there's no there's no one answer in there but we're trying to chart our path through that right we have to we have to as you say just chart our path through it at at, at the same time it is there is a cognitive container in understanding that in in a huge transition like this there are there are regressions there are people doubling down on things that no longer completely serve us um and it can look uh you know in, in addition to it being so destructive it can look uh can look really absurd um there's a cultural psychiatrist uh, charles johnston who has uh, written a lot about this so there there can be this larger cognitive container for understanding Okay, of course this is happening, right? Of course this is happening. We're in such a big transition that there are going to be regressions, breakdowns, uh, and it, it, you know it's incredibly sad. There's suffering. There's tragedy, um, but it also makes sense given the extent of the of the enormous transition, enormous transition. Uh, that we're in. That's that's not just about carbon. I mean, it means having to to uh, to to rework um, so many systems. Uh, and and as I said, coming coming to more pro social ways of being. Um, so it's it's huge. Yeah. And then um, I'll say one more thing, and I'll leave it to Pani to, to to wrap us up. But you know, I think it also depends on how close we're looking at re, uh, the present, because as we zoom out, we see this larger trend uh, of change. But when we get really close, it's much more erratic. So you know, we're we're decarbonizing our our economy and our world, while at the same time, now we see they're still you know drilling drilling new wells in in, in, in Alaska. Um, yeah, but it's part of this larger trend, and um, that's, I think, another, I'm not sure if it's a dialectic or what it would be, but it's the ability to zoom out to see the larger trend. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, that's, that's right. I think, intellectually helpful. It's helpful. Um, without sugarcoating, you know, without sugarcoating the suffering and the tragedy, that's the, that's the, the part where, you know, we, we have to work at, at holding both aspects of the dialectic. Um and and not collapsing into either one. Sometimes it all comes together. That's another dialectical thought. Uh, for example, by, right. the, by the medieval philosopher Nicholas 
Kusanus or Nicholas of, of Kusa who used the image that's, you know, a circle and a straight line seem to be completely opposites. But if you zoom in uh, long enough for the, in the circle, you can actually see a straight line if you go near, near enough to the circle. So that was one way to illustrate this idea that sometimes things that seem opposites to us can actually be um, profoundly interlinked. And that could lead lead, yes. lead us to quite co- complex philosophical discussions about non-duality, and let's not go there there at this time. But I greatly in, in, enjoyed another talking time, with you, another time, Panos. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. So it's it's been a yeah. it's been a ple- pleasure, and thanks for reminding uh, both us and the listeners of them possible coexistence of many things in life, including both joy and sadness. You know, amidst all these conditions. Yes. Thanks so much, Janet. I think, you know, this episode is going to be great for therapists who really know a lot of the concepts and see how you use these concepts in climate context. And it's also just great for all of, all of us listeners to think about these new tools for our, our own life. So we're going to wrap up. I've got to go into my day, beginning my day here, um, which includes more work along these lines. And Apano, you've got the end of your evening and a full day. You've already worked, so you're going to hopefully move towards some with your family. Janet, what's the rest of your day hold for you? I've got a work uh, afternoon with patients. Okay, so you're going to be in the in the trenches with people. Yeah. So I wish you well. Um, and we'd love to chat with you again. I think we could easily go a lot, a lot longer, but this is a great start. So you all both be well. And listeners, uh, you take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care. The Climate Change and Happiness podcast is a self-funded volunteer effort. Please support us so we can keep bringing you messages of coping and thriving. See the donate page at climatechangeandhappiness.com.